happy you're joining us on our Brentwood Church podcast. To find out more about Brentwood, go to brentwoodchurch.org. During this episode, Pastor John shares a great message that we pray will lead you to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ. So open up your Bible or Bible app and grab a notebook or simply listen along. George just wasn't enough for me anymore. I mean, our relationship flourished during college. I, I thought we'd be married by now and have a bunch of little Georges running around. But then she got a degree, then she got a job. And apparently I'm not good enough for her anymore. We did have a good thing going on for a while, but you know, there just came a point where I wanted more than a Coke from a vending machine or a small fry from McDonald's, you know? <sighs> He's texting me. She never returns my text. Never. Besides, I met someone new. Ben is literally the best. I prefer to be called Benjamin. It's classier. And besides, she's just not my type. I really think she's just using me for my body. He's hot, right? I cannot get enough of him. I've got to get out. She just doesn't manage relationships well. I've got nothing to say to her. She left me in a couch cushion for three years. Three years. Are you serious? Why? I thought we were going to go shopping this weekend. He broke up with me. So, they broke up. Huh. Nice. All right, all right, good stuff, good stuff. So today, you guys remember that? It, it, those of you uh, who, who graduated from college or at least, you know, you got out of the high school, college years and uh, a dollar bill was a big deal. Like we, where you were, you know, you could live, you could, you, I remember uh, my wife and I, we were dating at the time and I would take her to Fazoli's. Some of you don't even know where that is. Fazoli's, and we would buy a $3 plate of spaghetti and split the free breadsticks. Three George Washingtons, guys. That's what I lived on in college and took uh, my wonderful wife on dates. Now, as we get in further to our careers and as we start growing, uh, dollar bills just aren't enough anymore. And then even Benjamins, we outgrow Benjamins, and then we get into the plastic uh, well, we're going to be talking about this uh, over the next three weeks, minding our money, mind your money, or as the great South Central poet Snoop Dogg once said, I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Now, why? Why is that? Because we want to change our minds about how we think about money, because the way we think about money affects the way we feel about money, the way we feel about money affects the way we behave in and around and towards money. And the way we behave in money ultimately determines our health, yes, our physical health, not just our spiritual and mental health. It affects how helpful we are, and it ultimately affects how happy we are. So turn with me to Luke chapter 3, the gospel of Luke chapter 3. 
If you are new to the scriptures, uh, that is in the New Testament. Uh, if you don't have a Bible today, download the YouVersion app and go to our live event and you can follow along in the notes. I wanna tell you a little story. I asked my wife and my daughter if I could share this this morning. Uh, there's a little battle going on with the women in my house. Uh, my wife and our daughter, and it has to do with wardrobe. And here's kind of how it goes. Uh, my daughter will break into my wife's closet and she will, quote, borrow things. She will borrow jeans and shirts and shoes and scarves and those sort of things, of course, with the intent of giving them back at some point. But they always seem to take resident up in my daughter's a closet or my daughter's room. Some of you ladies can relate to this. And so this has been going on for about a year, year and a half. And every now and then I'll see my wife going through her closet with this bewildered look on her face. And all of a sudden under her breath, she will whisper with a little bit of disdain, my daughter's name, Landon. And what that means is whatever it is that she's looking for, there's a 90% chance that it's somewhere in our daughter's room. That's kind of the battle that's been going on. Side note on the battle uh, with ladies in the house. I I never realized this until I got married and started having children and then had two ladies in the house. What is the deal with ladies taking their hair barrettes and throwing them on the ground? What's the deal with that? I find them everywhere in my house. I find them under the chairs. I find them under the couch. I find them on the steps. I find them on the pets. And I don't even have pets. (laughs) Ladies, what's the deal with that? I need need some closure on this. Why do we just throw our hair barrettes everywhere? Anyway, side note. So my daughter comes into, uh, I'm shaving. I'm shaving. It's it's in the morning. I'm shaving in, in my bathroom. And my daughter comes in and she's pilfering through her mother's makeup. And I finally just decided to say, hey, what's the deal here? Like, why is it? Like, you have your own makeup. Why is it that you find your mother's makeup better than your own? Because it's, it's, it's the same brand. It's everything. And this is what she says to me. And this was so revealing. And I think every, it's so relevant to what we're going to talk about. This was her answer. Why? Why do you think your mother's, or why do you take your mom's makeup? And she says, because it's hers. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Because it's hers. What does that mean? Another way to say that is the grass is greener on the other side. Isn't that a mentality that we often have? I might have the same thing that you have, but if you have it, I want it. Why? Because it's yours. Because it's yours. Now, of course, my wife is happy to help and serve and let my daughter uh, borrow and give and all those things. And, but think about that on the level of a culture. This idea that the grass is greener on the other side or your stuff should be my stuff because my stuff isn't enough. I want my neighbor's stuff because my stuff is not enough. And when you take that and you blow that up into a cultural value and you play that out to its end, you have something that begins to create in our culture. And I call it the two-headed dragon of envy and discontentment. I look at your stuff, I look at your status, I look at your opportunity, and I think, 
wow, the grass is greener over there. Your stuff should be my stuff because my stuff isn't enough. I am envious. I am discontent. My stuff isn't enough. And when you feed this dragon long enough in a family and in a culture, ultimately you have what I call the debt cliff. The debt cliff. What is the debt cliff? Think about that. You're driving up a mountain, you know, at 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, not knowing that there is a cliff that you will careen off the side of if you don't slow down and turn around and go the other direction. The debt cliff is prevalent in our culture and it is bullied and pushed by the two-headed dragon of envy and discontentment. Listen to this, 80% of Americans, that's us, 80% of Americans live in some chronic cyclical debt. What does that mean? We're not talking about a mortgage that they're paying off every month. We're talking about a life and a mentality of chronic debt. Debt, debt that's been hanging around for years, credit card debt and a mammoth mortgage and school debt and all kinds of the debt in between that lingers around in our house like those bobby pins that we find everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? It's just there and it eventually becomes just a part of the family. Oh yeah, that's our debt. He's been with us for a couple decades now. Wow. Why is that? In fact, this debt mentality is so hard to beat. And here's why. Because we live in a culture that says this, that your stuff, you're entitled to other people's reward and stuff you can't afford right here and right now. Let's think about it. Let's break that down for a second. You're entitled to other people's reward. What does that mean? It means that when I see your stuff, your status and your opportunity that I should have it too. Never mind that you've worked for it. Never mind that you have stewarded your life in such a way that you have earned that reward. If you have it, then I should have it, right? I should get that. I want that too. And stuff you can't afford, no matter whether or not you have the income or the discipline in your life to afford it or the savings to afford it, there is a credit card industry, there is a debt cliff industry that would love to chain you and I up so that we can afford it right here and right now. What we don't realize though is this whole value and this whole thing that is pushing us towards the debt cliff that if we don't turn around, we will, we will crash and burn. This whole idea is this, that we will never truly be healthy in our mind and in our hearts. We will never truly be happy. Isn't that what we're trying to get anyway with the stuff and the status and the opportunity, somebody else's or whatever it is that we have is not enough. And we will never truly be helpful to other people not just our children, but the people that God will put in our life for us to help. Why? Because we're perpetually in the debt hole, going off the debt cliff that is fueled and driven by envy. Envy, I want yours. And discontentment, mine is not enough. I want yours because mine is not enough. Enough. Here's the good news. 
the good news is the scriptures teaches us it confronts this thing in all of us and i'm talking about all of us and then it shows us the wisdom and the way to redeem this and, and this is the question that we have to ask ourselves what is it that the church what is it that the gospel shows us differently about how we mind our money. Luke chapter three, let me set this up a little bit. John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin. So for those of you who didn't grow up in church and you don't know all the, the you know, who's related to who and who's this guy and who's that guy, that's okay, I'm gonna give you a quick. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. Their moms were cousins and therefore they were cousins by birth. John was born a few months ahead of Jesus, and John was known in the Bible as the forerunner, or in some of our language we call the way maker, of Jesus the Messiah. He was given the life's calling to get the people of Israel at the time ready for the Messiah. Keep in mind, these people had been waiting for centuries for the Messiah. They had been hearing prophecies of the coming Messiah, waiting, waiting, anticipating. And John the Baptist comes on the scene and he says, he's coming. He's coming in your lifetime. And here's what you need to get ready. John was kind of an odd guy. I mean, he had this prophetic ministry. He would wander around in the outskirts of town and he wore like camel's skin. He would have had dreadlocks today. He would have been like, he would have been that guy, just a little bit hippie for everybody. He ate locusts and honey. That was what he ate. He, he probably smelled kind of interesting. That's a little bit about John the Baptist. But John would go out in the countryside and people would come out of the cities and the towns and the villages to hear him proclaim. And he was gaining influence. In fact, where we find him in Luke chapter three, he is at the height of his popularity. People are coming from far and wide to hear him. And he says, this is what you need to do to get ready for the coming Messiah because he is coming. And in the first part of this section, we're not going to read this, but you can go back and read it. Uh, John the Baptist is calling out the religious leaders, the religious rulers of his day, the preachers and the prophets and the teachers of the law. And he's saying, hey, here's what you need to do to get ready for the coming Messiah, because he's coming. You need to do a couple things. Number one, you need to stop being hypocrites. Mm, Yeah, you need to start practicing what you preach. Wow. And number two, you need to stop making it hard for people to see and experience God. Yeah, you guys have all these rules and all these regulations and all these hoops that people are supposed to jump through. You don't even jump through them yourself. So stop being hypocrites and start showing God for who he is. He calls out the religious elite of his day. And then all of a sudden, the crowds, the common people, the rich and the poor, the the, the guy on the street, the the poor, the powerless and the powerful and all those people in between, uh, they start calling out, hey, we want in on this too. And we jump into this scene. What should we do then? The crowds ask. So he's already called out the religious leaders. And now, The crowd is on the edge of their seat. Some of them are up on their feet and they're saying, we wanna know what we're supposed to do. 
tell us, John, please, how do we get ready for the coming Messiah? Now, John has what I believe is one of the most, one of the oddest conversations that anybody could have if somebody says, hey, how can I get ready for the coming of Jesus Christ? Like, like if you had somebody come up to you at your office and say, hey, I've noticed that you carry yourself a little bit different. I noticed that you read your Bible before work in the morning. Hey, I've noticed these things about you. I, would you tell me a little bit more about your faith and a little bit more about Jesus Christ? If you had the conversation that John is about to have with the crowds, it would be the most awkward and turned off conversation that you could ever have in your office when somebody comes to you asking for spiritual advice. Here's what you would think John the Baptist would say to the crowds who are feverishly begging. You would think that he would say, go to the synagogue more and listen to more sermons, right? Right, hey, go download some more podcasts. Go to some more church services. When you're done with this one, go to another one. That's what you would think because you need more knowledge. You need more religious experiences. You would think that he would say something moral like, hey, stop getting drunk. Stop having sex with everybody. Like, like just, just stop. You would think that he would just make it a moral thing. You, you, you would think that he would say something like, honor your father and your mother more. Like, like let's just go 10 commandments on this whole thing. What is John the Baptist? The forerunner of the Messiah, who is at the height of his popularity and has the crowd on the edge of their seat, up on their feet, ready to go. Listen to this. It's totally awkward. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors, these were like the drug dealers at the time, even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? What does he say? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him. These were like the police of the day, all right? The soldier said, and what should we do? We, he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. What? Okay, let's back up here for a second. You're sitting at the break room. That person that you know that's an atheist or an agnostic comes in and sits down and says, listen, Jill, listen, Bill, I gotta know, what is it about you? Tell me about this Jesus. And you say, let me see your checkbook. What? Yeah, 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 just get your checkbook out. Oh, I don't understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about your money. What? Are you one of those televangelists? Like right here, John the Baptist has a financial conversation with the crowds when they say, how do we get ready for the Messiah? You gotta be kidding me. Let's just break it down for a second. Look, these are four things that he mentions. He says, share your abundance with the needy. Be content and grateful with what you've earned. Don't cheat people out of what they've earned. Don't take more than you've earned or been offered. That is what John the Baptist says to the crowds when they ask, 
what should we do to get ready for the coming of the Messiah? Mind your money, he says. Get your mind on your money and your money on your mind. That's what he says. Now, why? Why would he have a money conversation? Why wouldn't he say, go, go to some more spiritual conferences? Go see Beth Moore, T.D. Jakes. Like, why, why doesn't he say, go to the Hillsong United con- Conference. Go, go, you know, go do something really, really emotional. No, he says, get your checkbook out and let's talk about this. Why? Because here's the bottom line. Because money care is soul care. Mm. Money care. How I care for my money is how I care for my soul. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. Money care is soul care. Now, here's what I want to do. I want you guys to play along with me, all right? This is going to be a little, for, for, especially for you introverts. I'm here for you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to grow you, stretch you. I want you to stand up, and I want you to go to three people and just say, money care is soul care, all right? So just go ahead. Stand up, high five, handshake. Just say, money care is soul care. Just, I want to go ahead and just say it and proclaim it. Just right now. Money care is soul care. Yep, that's it. Money, care, soul, care, Tanner. Come on. All right. All right, all right. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. Now, listen, listen, you just proclaimed that to your neighbors. You just said it. You just said, money, care, is soul, care. The way that I care for, the way that I manage my money is ultimately going to affect my soul. The health of my soul the happiness of my soul, and what? The help that my soul gives to the people in the world that God so loves. How I manage it. In fact, Jesus said this. Jesus and John were on the same page. He says this in in Matthew's gospel, chapter six. He says, for where your treasure is, where your money is, where your credit card is, where your debit card is, where your checkbook is, where your cash is, there your heart will be also. Money care is soul care. Now, why? Why would John the Baptist and then Jesus just, you know, a few lessons into his earthly ministry start talking about money? And here's why, and this is huge, this is huge. Because it is one of the greatest distractions. It is one of the most tangible things that can distract us from our purpose and our worship of God. Right there, right there. What is it? And listen, 2,000 years ago, it was the same thing in a different culture. I mean, this, is, this wasn't even a capitalist culture. This was an agrarian like, like hierarchy-based culture. And they still dealt with the same issues. They extorted money from each other. They didn't share with each other. They were always trying to get one over on the other. They were trying to keep it from themselves. I don't know, this is scarcity. If, if I have it and, oh, you have that, well, I should have that too. 
Like, you could literally take the same thing that John and then Jesus was saying to the people, to the common people of the day, and you could interplay it right on top of what's happening today. Money care is soul care. It's so simple, and yet everything in our life is affected by that. Uh, You guys remember the dream team, the very first dream team, the first basketball team, uh, to professional basketball team to play in the Olympics back in the early 90s. Uh, Some of the greatest players of that generation, uh, both sides from the 80s and the 90s were on that team. You had Larry Bird, you had Magic Johnson, you had Michael Jordan, I could keep going. You had some of the greats, some would argue the greatest players of the game thus far on what's called the dream team. They were going to play for the United States of America in the Olympics. We were going to win gold, and that was, the, that was the bottom line. And we were getting the best of the best in the world to play on our behalf to wear the stars and the stripes. And they had one of the best coaches of the day, a guy named Chuck Daly. He was going to be their coach. And the assistant coach tells the story about Chuck uh, who was the, the coach, and he just says, hey, what are you going to say to the best players in the world when you meet them for the first time in the same room? And, and the coach says, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. He says, I, 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 I'll let you know when, when we get there. And, and, and it's, it's the night before they're getting ready to meet down in the conference room, and he says, hey, 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 what are you going to tell them? What are you, I mean, like, this is a big deal. He's like, You'll find out tomorrow when we meet them. And so there they are. They're sitting around this U-shaped uh, uh, table, and, and, and their coach is eyeballing all of the greatest players uh, to play in the game at the time, arguably, of all times. And this is what he says to them. And some of you have heard me tell this story. He says, I want to tell you two things, and then we're going to get out of here. Number one, we've got to win gold. Like, if we're not going to win gold, we might as well stay wherever country that we're playing because we can't come back to ours, right? We've got to win the gold. We've got to win the gold. And then he says this to the greatest players in the world, and and it it, it was so powerful and yet so simple. He says, here's how we're going to do it. Edge of your seat. How is he, one of the greatest coaches of the time, greatest players of the time, How's he going to do it? What's his secret? And this is what he says. Be on time. What? Yep. Be on time. That's it. That's it. We're going to win gold, and I want you guys to be on time. And on time is early. He says that to the greatest players in the world. Get to our meetings early. Get to practice early early. And here's why. And he goes on to explain it later on. Because when you have all of these players who already know the fundamentals of the game, they know how to dribble, they know how to pass, they know how to screen, they know how to box out, they know how, they know how to play the game. What they need to know is how to manage their ego. And how do you manage your ego? You say to your fellow players, 
I respect you enough and I respect your time enough that I will be at any meeting, any practice, any anything early. I'm not going to make you wait on me because I'm so special. Now, why do I tell that story? Because the story and the legend goes that every single one of those players was 45 minutes to an hour early for everything. They were waiting on the bus for each other. They were standing around practice 45 minutes to an hour. There was one time and one time only that Michael Jordan was 15 minutes early instead of an hour early. Why? Because they respected each other enough to be early. You say, John, what's that have to do with anything that we're talking about today? Here it is. A simple habit affects whether you win or lose at the most important things in life, period. A simple habit, a simple way that you manage the money that you have earned and that you have been trusted with will determine if you are truly healthy in relationships, psychologically, emotionally, Are you a person who's going to live with stress, insecurity, and unquenchable greed, or not? Whether or not that you are helpful, are you going to be a person who is generous? Are you going to be a person who can help your kids, who can say, hey, I've been able uh, to, because of the decisions that I've made in my life, I'm going to be able to help you. Have you made decisions that can help other people? As John said, if you have two shirts that you can give one of them to the person who has none, are you and I going to be people who aren't only healthy and helpful, but are we going to be happy? Are we going to be happy? You know, in, in the scriptures, uh, there's something greater than temporal happiness that's always the target, and that is an eternal joy, a joy that, that precedes or, or exceeds uh, temporary, momentary happiness. It's a joy that says, no matter what's going on in or around me, I am going to be able to celebrate what happens in my life right now because of who God is that kind of joy. And what John says and what Jesus says is it all begins with a simple decision in your life. Money care is soul care. Money care is soul care. So I think that we as the church have got to have these conversations. Now, listen, listen, I I know what some of you are thinking. Is this a series on giving? And I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. No, it's not. I love, I love to talk about giving to the local church. Why? Because I believe the local church is the hope of the world. And I never apologize for saying, you should invest in her. You should give portions of what God has given you back to what God is doing in the world. And I'm telling you, there is so much much in that. That's not this series, though. Now, that series is coming, right? That series is always going to be coming. Because money care is soul care, right? I get that. But this series is about changing the way we think, even about the money and how we earn it and how we work for it and how we are generous with it. Wow. Why? Because money care is 
soul care. Now, Ephesians chapter 5. I want to go to a conversation that the Apostle Paul is having with the first century church. And there are two things in this conversation that are going to help us understand what we're talking about in this series. So Ephesians chapter 5, here's a little setup. Paul is talking about the fact that God has this big plan, this enormous plan for creation, for salvation, and your transformation and my transformation. And he says, look, here's where this happens. He says, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is so huge. This is so huge. What is Paul saying? If you are going to live the way God designed you to live and according to his plan, you've got to stop living in denial. You got to stop living in denial. You have got to get real. And you know something? I think people who truly believe and follow Jesus and are going to new and deeper levels with Jesus Christ, they become the most authentic, transparent people in the world. Why? Because they have nothing to hide. And whatever it is that they're living and failing at, they just are honest about. You know what? I'm not winning at this. I, I, I don't have to impress you. I don't have to walk around and, and, and act like I'm one thing when I'm, when I'm really another thing. I'm just a person who realizes that because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in me, I'm just going to be transparent and I'm going to be honest. Not, not, not selfishly, not, not self-absorbed or, or, hey, look at me, look at me, but just in a way where I am healthy and I am happy and I am helpful, and so I'm not going to live in denial. Apply that to money. Apply that to money for a second. The, 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 remember, money care is soul care. Am I, am I a person who is content with what God has given me, or am I constantly coveting yours? Like, let's just be honest. Listen, listen. If you do not believe and follow Jesus, this doesn't apply to you. You are off the hook. You can sit back for the next couple minutes. I hope that you'll change your mind on that. But if you believe and follow Jesus, let's just, let's just, just have a conversation for a second. Look, are you a person who's content with where God has you? Are you a person who says, God, I will always want to grow and I will always want to live at a greater capacity and I know that you will help me and you will pave the way for that when the time is right. Until then, I am content. I'm content with where you have me. I'm not, I'm not looking at, at Jimmy's deal. I'm not looking at Sally's deal and going, why don't I have that? Why don't I deserve that? Because it's hers. Because it's hers. I should have that. The grass is greener. Like, Am I content or am I covetousness? Listen, if you deal with covetousness like chronically and you know it's pushing you towards the debt cliff, today just put it in the light. That is the freedom that Christ has given you, that you can be honest about where you're failing and he is not going to stop loving you. 
In fact, he's going to rush in even more powerfully than he ever has before. What does the Bible say? God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Wow. He gives grace, grace to the humble. What else? What else? Let's, let's keep going. Let's keep going. He, he says, this is why it is said, wake up sleepers, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, wake up. And then he says this, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Like the day, the culture that you live in is, is always gonna be falling apart. But you can be careful, you can be wise. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What does he say? He says two things. Number one, don't live in denial. And number two, live careful and wise. Live careful and wise. Don't live in denial. Wait, are you covetous or are you content? Are you generous or are you scared? Are you always keeping it to yourself? Are you a person who who is honest in your money management? Or are you always looking for a reason to stiff somebody? You know that guy who's always picking the waitress apart so he doesn't have to give 15%. Oh, well, she didn't bring the bread, right? She didn't greet us when she got to the table. He, he, didn't, he didn't give me that whatever when I asked for it right away. And so, well, we're down to 2% now. Are you that person who's constantly trying to find a reason to make the contract make somebody else lose so you can win? This is what, this is what Jesus says, and this is what the Apostle Paul echoes. Hey, if that's you, just get honest. Just get honest with where your soul is because you have treated money in a way that's a zero-sum deal. And that is win-lose. In order for you to win, other people have to lose. And we're gonna see something. We're gonna change our mind about money in this series. Careful and wise. What does that mean, careful? It doesn't mean to live without risk. It just means to live according to your design. design. And, and wise means skilled and crafty. That we would be skilled and crafty people. Wow. That's, that's, and it starts with just saying, okay, where am I? Let me, let me just get out of denial. And just go, man, how am I caring for money? Because that's really ultimately how I'm caring for my soul. Thanks so much for listening today. We believe that everyone has a next step towards Jesus and we'd love to help you take yours. Email us at hello at brentwoodchurch.org or visit our website, brentwoodchurch.org slash next steps. Until next time, go change the world.